0: Hello everyone and welcome in on back to the Brews on the Balcony football show. I am Zach Zook and as you may have guessed from the title, this is going to be our midweek special for the BOTB football show. And this is by no means replacing the Sunday live show at Cafe Telegraph. This is just a little something extra that uh, I think we're going to do every week. Uh, I'm going to primarily host it. We're going to get... Uh, Involvement from all the other guys, uh, their picks on the Thursday night game, and whatever they really want to contribute to it or have time for. And so this is more, we preview all the games on Sundays, but then come next Sunday, obviously, we're previewing the next week. So we don't really get a time to look back and reflect at the results and take a look at some of the things that happened over the past weekend. Of course, we talk about it a little bit, but we're Primarily focused on previewing the games, of course, and the action that is to come. So we have some really exciting segments that I think we're going to do on this show. We're going to keep it light, keep it fun. We'll have some takes and uh, cover some storylines, but I also want to get some fantasy and some gambling into it, as we do on the Sunday show. So we're going to have Nick Yale do his waiver wire pickups of the week. We're going to have Nick, TJ, and Big Web all call in and give us their picks for the Thursday night game, Panthers and Bucks, and then we're going to get into some stories as well. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. The first thing I really want to cover here is the Cleveland Browns. Uh, It was a poor showing for the Browns with a lot of hype. uh, Super Bowl picks uh, for TJ and Nick, I believe. They get just trounced in their own stadium at the Dog Pound, 43-13 to by the Tennessee Titans. And I had two takeaways, one for the Browns and then one for the Titans. And I know that it's week one. You get a lot of overreaction when it comes to these week one games because people haven't had football in so long. And they, you know, it's human nature to, I think, overreact to what you see. But then after, you know, you've had... Months and months of football. I, I don't think we'd have the same reaction to this final score if, say, the Browns were five and three and then lost to the Titans at home. Well, whatever. They're five and four. They're still above five hundred, right? Whereas now, it's the. It, I mean, Cleveland's zero one. It looks like the sky's falling. They got absolutely destroyed at home by a team that not many people think is very good in the Tennessee Titans, and so. There's a lot of people freaking out up in Cleveland right now, and while I'm not one of them, and I'm just not going to overreact, I mean, their season is not over by any means, but I certainly think you at least have to take a look at this result and maybe temper your expectations for the Browns a little bit. I had them as a wildcard team, I had the Steelers winning the division, and by the way, they didn't look much better on Sunday night against the Patriots, they were absolutely used and abused by New England, but... You're talking about a team with a rookie head coach in Freddie Kitchens who, before the firing of Todd Haley last season, had never been a coordinator even. Then all of a sudden, he finds himself as the interim head coach after they lop off the head of the snake, and all of a sudden, he is now in charge of this team that has a ton of really sweet players. And... I don't think he's really prepared for it. It was my concern coming into the year, and I don't know if he's a bad coach. I don't know if he's a good coach. I'm sure he's somewhere in the middle, but you're talking about a team with a second-year quarterback in Baker Mayfield, who I also think the hype train has gotten way out of control on him. He threw three interceptions. He was 25 of 38, just one touchdown pass. For fantasy purposes, I think he only scored 11 points. Uh, It was not a good showing by him, and that's an up-and-down thing that I think a lot of people expected, but a lot of people kind of thought that he was going to set the world on fire and be 2019's version of Patrick Mahomes, and that's simply not the case, and Hopefully, this tempers people's expectations a little bit to the Browns, I, in, in by no means is their season over. Everything they have is still in front of them, but you have to take a step back and realize that this team with crazy expectations, it's out of control. They have a lot of new pieces. They, of course, added Odell Beckham, flashy move, and they added Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon, but this team... Has a lot of moving pieces that are still gelling together. They have the rookie head coach in Kitchens, as I mentioned, who, let's be real, would he have even been offered a coordinator position at the end of 2018 if that coordinator and then subsequently head coaching position for Cleveland didn't land in his lap? I don't think so. So now he has to manage a loaded offense. He's been given the keys to a Porsche and told not to crash it, as the saying goes, with Mayfield, a young up-and-coming quarterback who I think leadership is really his strongest trait, much like Dak Prescott. I don't think he is as pure of a passer as Jared Goff. He's not as athletic as Carson Wentz. He doesn't have the ability to make plays like Patrick Mahomes. His best ability is his ability to keep everybody in that huddle engaged and positive, and through the ups and downs, keep everything even keel in the locker room. Because if you think about it, he's got to deal with Nick Chubb. In eight weeks, they're going to have Kareem Hunt thrown into the mix. They have Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Rashad Higgins, David Njoku at the tight end position. There's just a lot of mouths to feed in this offense. And so I think uh, you, you certainly have to temper the expectations for the Browns. But on the other hand, I'm really impressed with Mike Vrabel. And the Tennessee Titans. It's a team that I thought, after the injury to Andrew, well, the retirement to Andrew Luck. I, I mean, I, di- I didn't. I'm not high on the Colts to win that division anymore. I think they still have a solid team, but I look at them as more of an eight and eight squad than a division-winning playoff team. And so then you start going down the list. Well, the Texans certainly looked solid on Monday Night Football. I think they're probably the favorites to win the division at this point. But I picked the Tennessee Titans. I think they could win it at nine and seven. And I had them with the same record as the Texans, but winning with the tiebreaker to get into the postseason as that fourth seed in the AFC. So you th- this was a big game for them in the sense that you're going on the road, playing a team that's been the darling of the NFL media, and people are down on the Tennessee Titans. I don't know if it's because of the brand or what, but... Mike Vrabel is a good coach. He's shown to be much closer to the Bill O'Brien side of these Bill Belichick disciples than the Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, Brian Flores side of these guys that have washed out that seemingly just have no idea what they're doing. Vrabel's a solid coach. People forget that last year Vrabel was within a play-in game of getting into the postseason. They played the Colts at home week 17 and lost, kind of got rolled. His quarterback, Mariota, got hurt. There was really not a whole lot they could do, but this is a team that was that game away from going to the playoffs two consecutive seasons. Remember, they beat the Chiefs in the first round of the playoffs two seasons ago. They have a lot of pieces, and I think it's because of the branding, because of the division they play in. They don't get a lot of love, but I'm telling you, Watch out for the Tennessee Titans this year. They're a solid football team, and I think you're going to see that trend continue as the season moves on. All right, I want to talk about the Lions because I was at the game at the newly named State Farm Stadium, apparently, out in Phoenix, Arizona, where Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray were making their professional debuts. Of course, Kyler Murray drafted number one out of OU, Cliff Kingsbury, was the head coach at Texas Tech, took that job to be the OC at USC, and it sounded like he was kind of the coach in waiting uh, after they inevitably cut the head off of Clay Helton at the end of this season. But then a couple weeks later, makes the move to the NFL. So it was his debut, and as I expected, the Lions were my lock of the week. The Lions came out and really dominated the first half. Uh, Kyler Murray really didn't have much production in the first half of that football game. He really struggled with the blitz over the course of the preseason, and you figured Patricia, with his defensive uh, background, you figured he was going to come out with a pretty good game plan, stop this air raid offense, which hadn't had much success in the first couple of weeks, and that's exactly what happened. Kyler Murray throws the interception, but then it was the Lions offense that really couldn't ever put the game away. Now, we were there to watch uh, Jordan, my girlfriend's cousin, TJ Hawkinson. It was his professional debut as well, and boy did he show out. Set an NFL record for receiving yards by a tight end in his first ever NFL game with 124 receiving yards. How about that? And he was involved early. You you didn't know how much he was going to play because they had Jesse James signed in the offseason, too. I I mean, a fairly lucrative lucrative contract, but, man, it was 88 from the onset, and he made his presence felt, and he was solid, and he, along with Kenny Galladay and the rushing attack of Carrion Johnson, they were able to get some scores early. They had that long pass to Danny Amendola. I believe that was the first score. And they go into the locker room, I mean, really with the game firmly in their grasp. You just need to kind of finish it out in the second half. And they, you know, kind of keep it even keel throughout the third quarter. But then the fourth quarter rolls around. It's a three-score game. And they are unable to close it out. The Cardinals are able to march it down the field and tie it up in the final couple minutes with the two-point conversion. Then Stafford, with about a minute left, has a chance to maybe go down for a field goal. Amendola has one of the more, oh no, that was an overtime. He had one of the more bonehead plays I've ever seen not stepping out of bounds, and it essentially killed their chance at scoring points before the clock ran out but they're unable to get into field goal range for Matt Prater, who, by the way, has an absolute cannon for a leg. I mean, basically get it across midfield, and you can at least run him out there to attempt it, especially in the dome that was State Farm Stadium out in Arizona. So they're unable to do that, and then they're unable to get anything in overtime. They tie the game, and that has to just be the most deflating tie for the Lions. Now, on the other hand it is the most jubilation you'll probably ever see from a team after tying a game because the cardinals who were completely outplayed for the entirety of the ball game is safe for the last 10 minutes They end up getting a tie. They avoid dropping to zero and one. It's your first ever game with a new quarterback and a rookie head coach, and for the first time in a while, it feels like there's some optimism around the Arizona Cardinals, who I personally think are probably the worst team in the NFC. But my takeaway from this is just Matt Patricia. I mean, I don't think it's going to work out, and I know it may be a little too early to see that, to say that, but. He showed it last year. I was not a fan of his his style. Some of the way ways he goes about things, it just rubs me the wrong way. The whole posture thing with the reporter last year, and there was rumors after they got slaughtered on Monday Night Football against the Jets in Week 1 that he had kind of lost the locker room because these Belichick guys tried to go to another franchise and do the Patriot way. Well, that works if you're Bill Belichick and you have all these rings and all this respect, but you can't go in and start being a dick to these guys before you've proven jack shit. You have to earn their respect, and that's, I think, the problem with a lot of these Belichick guys. They understand, I think, the formula, but they have a, a real problem implementing it, and I think Patricia's one of those guys. In addition to that, I just think the dude comes off as a huge boner. Uh, in, in in his interactions with the media and in the way he coaches and prepares, I, I, I'm not a fan of the pencil bit, you know, he's sitting there with a laminated sheet on the sideline and he's got the pencil in his hat. Like, come on, dude. Like, what are you doing? And then you're going to come at the reporters for slouching while they ask a question. Like, dude, have you looked in the mirror? (laughs) Like, I don't think you should come at anybody for their appearance. You know, Colin Coward said this, and everybody kind of of ragged on him, and I was kind of right there, too. I think it's a little ridiculous, but I understand the point he was at least trying to make. You have to look the part, right? Appearance matters, and he just doesn't look like a successful head coach in the National Football League, and blowing a three-possession lead in Arizona to probably the worst team in the NFC when you really had everything going your way it's not a good start. I don't think the Lions are headed for very much success this season. And I think Patricia could even be on the hot seat going into 2020. All right, now let's get into this Monday night game. Doubleheader, game one was everything you could have asked for and more if I was just only spared from not having to listen to Tessitore and Booger McFarland just butcher the broadcast. It would have been fantastic. Now, now Tessitore, I don't really have anything against Tessitore. I think he's a little over the top and corny for the Monday Night Football stuff, but I really loved him on college football before. But Booger just doesn't really seem to know the league. He says a lot of stupid shit. Like, for example, I think he dropped a Camara is my MVP reference, like the start of the broadcast. Like, wh- wh- what are you doing, man? Like, not only is that... I mean, just kind of a stupid thing to say because running backs don't really win the MVP. You only said it because they were playing in the game that night. You just kind of grabbed for it. And I don't know, like, I feel like it's easy to criticize because it's obviously a tough gig. And Booger McFarlane is light years ahead of Jason Witten as a broadcaster, which I don't have anything against Witten either. Should have never been put in that booth in the first place clearly not equipped to handle it, clearly not a broadcaster, and that's fine. It's a really hard job. I do it, and I am far from perfect at it, so I get it. But I just think the Monday Night Football broadcast could be so much better, and I, I just feel like it's lacking. I mean, ever since Gruden left, I think that they've had issues. And by the way, if you can hear hear my dog, that's Lulu. She's going to be a part of the show, a fixture on the Midweek Pod most likely every week. She likes to hang out. And she'll maybe give her takes on occasion as well. But now getting to the actual football game. Boy, that was just some great football being played. By the Texans and the Saints both. And I was not very high on the Texans coming into the year. I think that they were going to go 9-7. and But I thought they'd lose out on the tiebreaker to the Titans. Which I still think the, t- the Titans are still my pick to win the division. But, man, I, I kind of thought... O'Brien was running the franchise into the ground with the whole Casario shit, and then he fired his GM, and now he's the GM, and he traded away Clowney for not a whole lot. Then he gave up just a crap ton to acquire Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. It, I'm, I'm not, I'm still not defending the move. I think it was stupid, but their football team on the field right now is good, and that's something that I think I have to, I have to pump the brakes a little bit. They're not just gonna go away because these moves were made. I think the defense suffers tremendously, honestly, from not having Clowney on the other side. Watt's gonna get just double teamed to death now, and he's not—he he's still a great player, but he's he's not peak J.J. Watt anymore. So they're gonna have to to find a little bit more creativity on the defensive side of the football because you lost Honey Badger too to the Chiefs, but. Man, Deshaun Watson, who I would have taken number one overall in that draft class, I understand that's still the wrong pick because you should have taken Patty Mahomes, obviously, but I was a huge proponent of him coming out of college. And that guy is the guy's just a winner. And you saw it again on Monday night. He was a winner his whole college career. He's been a winner every day since the start of training camp, his first day in the pros, and the guy just wins. He gives you his all He's getting sacked left and right. I think they got him six more times again on Monday night. And he still throws two darts to DeAndre Hopkins down the sideline to get them in position and then takes an absolute shot right in the back, which he had already injured, and drops it right in the bucket for Kenny Stills to complete a two-play drive right down the field like that. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, holy shit, the Texans are going to win this football game. And then the Hall of Famer, Drew Brees, comes right back, and Will with one L gives them the win. I mean, just a great back-and-forth football game, an early candidate for game of the year. I'm sure we'll see some better. Like, we'll get a Rams-Chiefs game that's just back-and-forth the whole time. I mean, that game wasn't that great, really, until the final couple minutes, but... Man, I tell you what, both these teams are going to be good. The Saints haven't been able to win a week one game in five years. They're able to finally do it. They're going to be back on track. The Falcons looked like crap again. You know, I I picked the Falcons to win a wild card spot. I still think that's possible. Again, you can't overreact to week one. We'll have to see how how they are in week two, week three, moving forward. They have a new offense with Dirk Cutter. So you can't even blame it on Sarkeesian anymore. But... The Saints, with a 40-year-old quarterback and Drew Brees, that's the main concern. <laughs> as long as they keep him upright, I i, I got news for you. They're-, they're winning another division. All right, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for some picks, but first we have to get to Nick. We'll do Nick's first because he's got the waiver wire additions with the audio he sent me. By the way, shout out to these guys. I didn't even come up. Well, I had been mulling over the idea of doing the midweek show, but didn't even put it in motion till about 4 o'clock Wednesday, and by 6 o'clock, they had me their recorded audio of their picks. These guys are fucking goats and deserve a lot of credit. They put in a lot of hard work, and uh, just shout out to them. So we'll get to Nick's picks first. The game is the Carolina Panthers versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Panthers coming off a close loss at home against the Los Angeles Rams. In really a tough game, I think it went about the way you'd expect. They ended up losing by three, but the Bucs, man, boy, they had it rough. They were at home and got... Pretty beat up by the San Francisco 49ers who took them out. Jimmy G's first game back from injury. So the spread's at about seven. Let's get Nick's pick.
1: Three, two, one. What's up, bruising in the Balcony fans? Nick Yale here uh, calling in for the midday show. And let me tell you, I had a big week last week going four and two, taking the crown. Super excited to be uh, top dog this week against the other three Fools in the BOTB football show. I mean, it just goes to show what a great picker I am. And this this week's pick, Thursday Night Football, Panthers, Buccaneers. I don't really like the game that much. Cam Newton struggled in his opener. Both teams lost. I would like to see more out of the Tampa Bay offense, more out of the Bucs, especially O.J. Howard and Mike Evans. Mike Evans was – a little ill the last game in week one, as was a lot of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster. Flu bug going around their locker room. They're in Carolina. Uh, Panthers are favored by seven, but I am going to go with, well, actually, I was going to go with the Bucs. I, I changed my mind. I am going to go with the Panthers. I want to see a big game out of Cam Newton. Christian McCaffrey in the run game, though, is the guy to watch. He's going to tear it up. Buccaneers, mid-ranked defense, but I think the Panthers will get it done and win by more than a touchdown there in Carolina. As far as a waiver wire pickup of the week, you're looking at Michael Hardman of Kansas City. Tyreek Hill, out this week. Going to be out at least four to six weeks with that uh, injury. Collarbone, I believe it was. But Michael Hardman out of Georgia. Got to watch him play in the SEC a little bit in college against Mizzou. Tore Mizzou up two years in a row. And now he's going to look to do the same thing in the NFL. Chiefs going up against the uh, Raiders this week in Oakland. I give Oakland a good chance to uh, at least compete in this game, but Meikle Hardman is going to be a terror for them at wide receiver. Tyree Kill, he's a speedster. Meikle Hardman, he's a speedster. They drafted this guy in the second round, so they definitely value him. Very high as a rookie here in 2019. So if you're looking for a free agent wide receiver on the waiver wire to pick up, Michael Hartman only rostered in 27.2% of leagues, up 9.2% this week, obviously after the news of Tyreek Hill going down with an injury. Also like Terry McLaurin of Washington, he's only rostered in 27.8% of leagues, but he's a rookie wide receiver there in Washington. Had a good week last week. He Both those guys are going to average projected around 10 points this week, so probably going to be available on your waiver wire if you're looking for a, uh, a steal of a pickup. A lot of those top wide receivers uh, already have gone off the board. Uh, Tyrell Williams was kind of the number one guy to watch. That was TJ's guy from last week. Also, Darren Waller at tight end. I told you guys to grab him last week. He had a big week. Probably not going to be available in most leagues. So check out Miko Hardman and Terry McLaurin if you're looking for a waiver wire pickup this week before week two starts. Thursday night football, Panthers, Bucks, give me the Panthers minus seven. Gentlemen, I look forward to kicking all of your asses again in week two, and I can't wait to wear the crown on Sunday at Cafe Tea.
0: Nick with some good stuff there. I totally agree with uh, the Terry McLaurin ad off the waiver wire. Not as much on the Meikle Hartman, but the Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State rookie year, first ever game. He was phenomenal. Now, my concern with him long-term would be, can Case Keenum really throw him the ball? Is he going to be able to get him the ball? But he proved week one, hey, no issues. And McLaurin is just a beast, known as F1 McLaren. After the car on Twitter, kind of hilarious play on words there. Uh, As much as I hate Ohio State, love this guy, love the ad. You should get him in your league. Uh, He talked about Darren Waller, too, on the show on Sunday, and I actually picked him up. Uh, He was great in the Monday night game. I think he's going to be great for your fantasy team. So uh, I actually went ahead and took Nick's advice and grabbed him. So let's get TJ's pick for the Thursday night game right now.
2: All right, Zook, uh, BOTB football fans, welcome in, guys, to the midweek show. Thursday night football this week. Man, I hope it's better than last week. I mean, just terrible game. Packers, Bears. I had Packers. I won it with the spread. I'll take that. Uh, The game itself was garbage. Bucks and Panthers. You got an NMC South matchup in this one. You know, to me, if you – a lot of football fans will look at week one and say that's exactly – Uh, what's going to happen, where the Panthers, they lost the game, but they came back against the Rams. They did well, where you think with their... The way they played, and then compared to the way the Bucks played, three interceptions and got their ass pretty much beat by the 49ers late. Um, you know, you think that it would be an easy cover for the Panthers as they're minus seven at home. However, to me, you know, you got an NFC, NFC South matchup in this one. You got Jameis Winston coming off a terrible game. He is three and four against the Panthers overall uh, in his career, averaging 265 yards per game through the air. Eight touchdowns, nine interceptions. So um, even though he does throw picks, he does score a lot. If you look at the last six games that the Bucs and Panthers have gone at it, it's been very split and literally split down the middle. Uh, Bucks won twice by one point and by three points in 2016. 2017, the Panthers won both of those with one game being decided by three points. Bucks won by seven last year and then got destroyed 42 to 28 last year to tie the series. So they're 3-3 in the last six meetings. A lot of these games and to be exact, four of the six have been decided by seven points or fewer. So to me, I mean, the yeah, is it possible the Panthers could go crazy and absolutely dominate the Bucks? Absolutely could. I mean, if Jameis Winston showed anything like he did in week one, they suck and the Panthers are going to roll. However, Cam didn't impress me much. I mean, they made a late run back, but uh, it really was all Christian McCaffrey running right through the Rams defense I know because I had the Rams minus three and a half and they screwed me um so McCaffrey was like their whole offense and Cam did what he had to do but he wasn't anything special they still have a lot of questions in their receiving game DJ Moore is the number one receiver but they still have a lot of work to do there Greg Olson's always beat up at tight end so the Panthers are gonna have to score points I believe the Bucs will find a way to score. And to me, it's just the spread. Seven is too much to take the Panthers in this one at home. So I'm going to take the Buccaneers because of what I said. It's been four out of the six games, the last six games between these two foes. It's been close as they have been decided by seven points or less. So give me the Buccaneers plus seven on the road. Bank on it, baby.
0: Good stuff from TJ. And I got to say that I, I I happen to agree. I think seven is too much in the NFL we talked about the week one overreaction, and I'm with him. That's my pick as well. I'm going with the Bucks, and uh, I'll, I'll take the points. A touchdown in September, two 0-1 teams. I get there's going to be urgency on both sides, but the Bucks. I don't think will look as bad as they looked uh, uh, last week against the San Francisco 49ers. So I'm rolling with you, TJ. Good analysis there, and let's get to our final but not least picker, Big Webb.
3: Hey, Zach, T. Webb here with a little Thursday night prognostication. Hey, buddy, give me the the Panthers Thursday. Uh, I'm going to say Tampa didn't get much done against the 49ers, who I think is a soft team anyway. Uh, And also, I kind of like Carolina. They played pretty tough last week against the Rams, came back and covered. I uh, Newton's pissing and moaning about his arm. He said he, say, he didn't throw anything over 20 yards. But he's saying that uh, go ahead and tempt me, Tampa. Go ahead and pinch up on me, and I'll throw over your head. But I, I don't know what's up with his arm. He didn't throw anything over 20. Didn't certainly didn't complete anything over 20. But uh, they're gonna have enough though with McCaffrey and them uh, to get things done. I, go ahead, and give me uh, give me Carolina there, buddy, and uh, we'll be listening. Take care.
0: Big Web rolling with the Panthers as well. And, I, I mean, I don't blame Big Web and Nick, but I'm just rocking with TJ on this. I know Nick's got the crown, but I'm with TJ. I think the Bucks will cover the seven. Uh, that's according to Bovada. Uh, those lines do move. So we're going to use those for... Uh, the gambling lines when we do the Sunday show, but obviously those CBS lines could end up being different because those lines do not change. So the lines for the pick 'em could end up being different than the ones you hear on the midweek show or the Sunday show, and if you're wondering, you're like, why is that? That's weird. That's why. We're using the Bovada Live Odds because if you're listening to it Sunday and you're using that betting advice, well, we're going to give you lines that actually are relevant, not the lines on CBS that you can't even use anymore. So that's why we're doing that. Thank you to my co-hosts, Nick Yale, TJ, and Big Web. Uh, Hard work by them. Uh, Great job. And, you know, so promptly sending in their picks. So uh, I thank them again. Catch us on Sunday at Cafe T, live at 1030 every week. We also want to give a shout out to our other sponsors, Kay Roberts at REMAX Gold. Fantastic real estate agent if you're looking for real estate in the St. Louis area. She should be your go-to. She is exceptional at what she does. And we're look, we're not getting rich off this podcast. We wouldn't rep anything or tell you to try it out if we didn't agree with it. I think anybody that's eaten at Cafe Telegraph can confirm that because their food is just phenomenal uh we also are sponsored by st louis distillery want to give them a shout out and family finance mortgage thank you to all our sponsors this season in year two of the botb football show we're really excited about it and i'll see you guys on sunday peace